Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. You know what I mean? It just doesn't compute, you know? The law is the law. This is in our hands. I mean, it really is. People were there. We will continue to raise our voices. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Well, there you know, there's someone who we first heard of on this show months ago, months ago during the, the pandemic. And we talk about covering the pandemic and vaccines and, you know, the misinformation that's out there. One of the people we spoke to was Dr. Monica Paris. Uh, she has now joined, like from being on this show and being a star on this show because she was great. She has now joined a thing called Team Halo, which you should be following if you are on TikTok. You should be following Team Halo because it's a brilliant group of doctors from around the world. Doctors and scientists and real people who really know this stuff. Trying to push back against the nonsense that's out there on social media. Other social media. This is TikTok where Team Halo, just look for it and it's brilliant. And there's some great simple science in 30, 40 second videos. And Dr. Monica, who was on the show here a few months ago with me has joined Team Halo to help to kick back against the misinformation that is out there. And we'll catch up with her again on the show at some stage very, very soon. Good morning to you. If you're working from home, and I know loads of you still are, and many of you would like to stay doing that, uh, even after the pandemic, be careful. Your employer just might be watching you using artificial intelligence to monitor your clicks. So maybe they know you're having a bit of an extra coffee or maybe they know that you've got a mate around uh, in the garden, of course, this week. Maybe they know. Uh, are they entitled to know? What are your rights? We must check up on that. All that to come during the morning. Now, uh, front page of many papers today is news on the vaccines. And it is, and I'm reading from Adam Higgins here, our good friend at the Irish Sun, who says Ireland will soon look at giving COVID vaccines to kids aged between 12 and 15. Now, the European Medicines Agency is 
talking about this at the moment. Their director is an Irish woman, uh, Emer Cook. She says they could decide by the end of this month whether uh, those aged between 12 and 15 might be vaccinated with Pfizer. At the moment, vaccination stops at 16. No one under 16 at the moment is, is getting vaccinated because none of the vaccines are actually approved for the under 16s. Not that they're any way harmful or anything like that, but just because they're they're not tested on under 16s or at least the data isn't there. Well, now the data's coming in and in America, the regulators there have said, yeah, let's let's look at that. Let's let's start uh, vaccinating people between 12 and 15. And now the European Medicines Agency is taking a look at it and very likely to approve it. If not at the end of May, then early in June. There's a lot of data, a lot of work being done in Canada at the moment. And the European Medicines Agency are studying that data and they're getting more and more every day and they'll make a decision. So very, very likely that the European Medicines Agency will sanction the use of Pfizer for kids between 12 and 15. And then the Minister for Health and the National Limit, and NIAC and all the various committees will decide. You could have a situation whereby your youngsters between 12 and 15 would be getting vaccinated in school in September. Uh, if not before, they're beginning vaccinated in school and in September. The Children's Minister, Roderick O'Gorman, he has said that it's certainly something he'd like, he'd like to do. Is it something that... Uh, you'd be interested in would your 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 twelve to fifteen year olds would would they like a vaccine? Would you like them to have it? Um, would you be feel okay about it? I mean, we know the rollout of the HPV vaccine in schools and how effective that's been. So maybe they would be getting a a, a, a COVID jab in the autumn. Let us check in with uh, Dr. John Sheehan. Dr. John, good morning again. Good morning, PJ. Um, we were, we're vaccinating at the moment, uh, and we'll get down eventually to everybody over 16 or every adult in the country. But that's the, I suppose this is the next logical progression that we would look at the, at the older children. How, how would you feel about it as a doctor? Yeah, no, I think it's certainly very welcome. And you see this usually with all vaccines as they're sort of rolled out, PJ, that you have sort of the main studies looking at sort of the, the, the main age groups. And then as that progresses, they start looking at other subgroups, such as pregnant women, younger people, more vulnerable groups, and, uh, and other groups like that. So as our, as our information improves, we can see whether it's suitable for other sort of age groups. So usually when first studies are first done, they're done in adults. And then if, they, if the results from that are, are encouraging, then they start looking at other age groups. And so this is a next logical step. And it's really important because when you think about it, in my own practice, and I know in every other practice, we have vulnerable children who are on chemotherapy, are on immunosuppressive, may suffer from cystic fibrosis, or many other conditions. And really, they deserve to be protected as much as anyone. So I think this is a very welcome move. Data comes in slowly by its very nature. And a lot of the worry out there particularly, I suppose, among parents, is that where's the data? What are they studying? But they are studying, aren't they, John, all the time? They absolutely are. And this is probably going to be one of the most studied vaccines in the world, given the number of people who are getting it. And I suppose we're in the slight fortunate position that we're a little bit, you know, other countries in the US and the UK are giving out the vaccine, probably a little bit ahead of us and we're catching up. 
So we're seeing some of the data uh, coming from them. The most obvious one, for instance, would be in pregnant women. In the U- in, in the US, 300,000 healthcare workers uh, each year are pregnant. So really, there was a big clamour for them to be vaccinated and for them to be protected. So that's where a lot of the data in terms of pregnancy has come from. Mm. And same with children and same with vulnerable children. So we're going to get a, a, a lot of data. The concern people will have is, well, are there long-term effects of this and what's the long-term effects? And the honest answer is, you know, that's been studied at the moment. But one of the things we definitely do know is the risk of getting COVID is much, much, by a quantum, much, much uh, worse than any risk from any vaccine. So really, you know, we have that comparison already. We have that evidence already. And really, in, in, in terms of protecting people, the vaccine is the way to go. The chances of getting COVID and being damaged by COVID, much worse, I suppose. But John, you are also looking at that cohort of society, children and teenagers who have the best response. And for the most part, and let's put that little caveat on it, for the most part, they kick it away like a bad cold anyway. They do. They're they're robust age and they they, they, they bounce back very, very quickly. But there's, there's two arguments I would make to that is that this virus is very unpredictable. So, you know, you can have 80-year-olds who get it like a bad cold and you can have people in their 20s who get it and are absolutely floored. And particularly with the post-COVID, it's very hard to predict who's going to be um, affected by that. And the other thing then, I suppose, practically is in terms of protecting, you know, one individual may be strong and healthy and robust, but their classmate may be vulnerable. So Mm. in terms of protecting all of our age group, it makes sense. 15 to 12 year olds, would we eventually see it coming down, do you think, John, in the months and maybe a year to come, might be going into the very small children? I think we will, whether it'll be for everyone or just the high risk. I suspect it may just be for the high risk for the very young. Um, and, and they could see certainly the logic of that because, um, you know, I think that would take an awful lot of worry and, uh, you know, anxiety away from parents who may have someone who's suffering from sort of um, some vulnerable illness. So I could see it maybe, maybe at, you know, at 12, maybe they might say, well, that's, you know, our risk is really okay there. And then maybe just a high risk after that. But I think we'll get a lot more data over the next uh, few months on that. What about parents, John? And look, there's an awful lot of stuff out there. Uh, If you search anywhere, you can find positive vaccine stuff and negative vaccine stuff. And I think it's very fair to say that parents will be concerned, some parents will be concerned about their 12-year-old or 13-year-old son or daughter having this strange substance injected into their arm. They will worry can you reassure them? They, they absolutely will. And, and, and as a parent, you always worry are you doing the right thing. No, no one tells you when you have children that guilt is perhaps the overwhelming emotion you have right through their life. Um, but at the end of the day, you have to look at the facts and, uh, and look at the science that's coming out and from reputable sources. And if you look at, in terms of vaccination history and in terms of what it has prevented, really over the last, 50, 100 years, vaccination has been the single biggest thing that has made a difference to childhood mortality and to protecting children. Mm. Whether it's polio, we had a big outbreak in the 50s here, whether it's things like measles, meningitis, all of those things. Vaccinations are the thing that has made the single biggest difference to the health of children. It's hard though when it's your own child, isn't it, to make a decision, particularly when it's so new. 
It certainly is, and there's always that worry, you know, and there's always that hesitancy. But all I could say to parents is, you know, find out information, look at sort of sources you trust. You know, you mentioned them earlier, the Halo. I'm unfortunately on my HP page. I'm probably a little bit old for TikTok. Um, you're never too old for TikTok, John. Trust you're me, not. you're never too old for TikTok. <laughs> no, <laughs> and, um, but uh, you know, find sources you, you trust. Listen to people who, who talk. I could listen to Luke O'Neill all day. You know, um, you know, they have the science. They're, they're the people who spent the time studying these things. You know, they haven't just decided to become a, a vaccination expert overnight on social media. You know, mm-hmm. these are people who've put huge effort into it. I'll be on a webinar tonight with vaccination people who've given their lives to studying this and studying the data. And they're the people I trust and they're the advice I go by. Do you think that, John, you know, given that, look, this thing is around all of the experts internationally, our good friend John Campbell, for example, in the UK with his millions of viewers on YouTube, you talk about Luke O'Neill, many others like it, they all say, look, we will probably stamp this thing out eventually. But there's a few years there before we do. We, may we have to get down to the point where we'll have to be in, in, in injecting, vaccinating all the children to protect the most vulnerable children in the class as well as everybody else up the line. We may well have to do that, yes. And we, and we do that with many other things, such as measles is the classic example. Measles yeah. is probably one of the most infectious um, illnesses you can get. For every one person who gets it, about 15 to 17 people uh, get, get infected by it. Um, so we vaccinate everyone to protect everyone from measles, not just the vulnerable, but, but protect everyone. And then what it does is, if it does take hold in a classroom or in a, you know in an area, so many people are vaccinated that it just burns itself out because it can't go from person to person. And that's where you get this herd immunity concept. Yeah, yeah, and that's what we're going to have to do if we're going to burn this thing out over a few years. Uh, John, thank you very much as always. Dr. John Sheehan, uh, GP, and of course uh, Cork City Councillor and former Lord Mayor of the city. It's coming. Uh, The European Medicines Agency will approve, probably in June, maybe even the end of May, will approve the administration of Pfizer to 12 to 15-year-olds. Minister of Health Stephen Donnelly says that when that information comes from EMA, obviously it'll go through the various channels here, it'll go through NIAC, it'll go through NEFET. Look, we know them as well as we know the bin man at this stage. NIAC and NEFET, and then a decision will be made. But I think you can pretty much take it that if it is a thing that the EMA approves it, which it will, then we will end up with vaccines for teenagers 12 to 15 and as Dr Sheehan says they're constantly working and working around the world for more data and more research you will eventually end up with the 5, 6 and 7 year olds also getting vaccinated against COVID as we try to stamp the bloody thing out once and for all I want to know how you feel about that today how do you feel about it? 1850-715-996. Also, is there a nurse that you've come across in the past 12 months? And it doesn't have to be in connection with COVID. It could be connection with anything. Uh, cancer. Just you met them in the A&E after you twisted their ankle. Or the, the nurse down around the corner that came to see the child at 12 o'clock at night when the child had a temperature and you were worried. Or just a nurse that you know who's a decent, good and kind person, as many of them are, most of them are. Today is the International Day of the Nurse. It's a whole week of it, but today in particular, Florence Nightingale's birthday, is the International Day of the Nurse. So is there a nurse that you think should get a mention? 
Is there a nurse that you think we should talk about? Is there a nurse that's been particularly good to you? Is there a nurse in your family who's gone above and beyond and you think we should mention? Happy to do that at 1850-715-996. I mentioned at the top of the program that with so many people working from home now, is your employer watching you and maybe watching you a little bit too closely? That's next, 1850-715-996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. 7 out of 10 Cork people drink more than a cup a day. We love a nice cup of coffee. The Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon happens May 20th to 22nd and we need your help. We'd love you to host a virtual coffee break with your work colleagues. Whether it's a weekly Google Hangout or your daily Zoom call with the team, get the gang together for a feel-good fundraiser. Grab your special virtual coffee break pack at 96fm.ie. The Giving for Living Radiothon, May 20th to 22nd. Raising funds for Cork Cancer Services. Only on Cork's 96FM. You're just on the nurses to see where that came up at the Brit Awards uh, last night. Dua Lipa uh, took the opportunity uh, to mention nurses and frontline workers. We should all give a massive, massive round of applause and give Boris a message that we all support a fair pay rise for our front line. Yeah, that's a very, very high profile last night. Boris Johnson getting the call. Look after them. Don't be just clapping for them on a Thursday night. That is still going on sometimes. Sometimes Give them a pay rise. Give them... Give them In this country, there's a, ta- a discussion going on at the moment that maybe nurses, particularly nurses, let's choose nurses because the day of the nurse, that they would get extra holidays. Maybe five, ten days extra annual leave as a reward for going above and beyond during the course of the pandemic. But on this International Day of the Nurse, your particular memory or thoughts or wishes for a nurse just could be a nurse that you know. Could be your sister or your, your brother or your cousin or your auntie. Uh, because they are a nurse, let's mention them today and thank them for what they've been doing. 1850-715-996 or text or WhatsApp. And of course, we love to get your voice notes. 083-396-9696. Now, we've talked over the last, particularly weeks and months uh, since the turn of the year, about the fact that when this is all over, some people have become so comfortable with the idea of working from home, either full or part-time, that they want to keep doing it. And the Irish Congress of Trade Unions has warned the government that thousands of workers could be scanned using artificial intelligence, scanned by their employers, using technologies that can count mouse clicks and keystrokes and email, can record how much time they spend on social media maybe surreptitiously take photographs of them every so often just to make sure they are actually sitting at the computer. All of this can be done. All of this can be done by your employer if they want to monitor you while you're working at home. And the Congress of Trade Unions is concerned that, you know, unscrupulous employers, employers who don't get it, that just because I'm not at the table 
right now doesn't mean I'm not actually working. And do we have rights in this area? Because we now do have rights to request remote working. That law has gone through recently and we... well. It wants we we want to get there that you'll have a right to ask for remote working, um, and and you can ask for remote working, and you have to come to some kind of agreement with your boss that you can ask for remote working. So now the Congress of Trade Unions is concerned that your privacy might be might be brought into question by some unscrupulous employers. Let's check in with the person who's been taking us through all of this change. Uh, in terms of law and rights, and that is Cleena Kenny, who is an employment law specialist with CKT. Cleena, good morning again. Good morning, PJ. And, and thanks for being with us. Like the idea now that you can ask your boss to let you continue working at home, and you can come to an agreement with the. We've been down that road, but the idea then that they can monitor your every move. What are your rights there? Now that's yes, it's a very tricky. Um, area and it's a minefield and it brings us back essentially to data protection and the GDPR that we heard so much about a couple of years ago Um, monitoring of an employee if it's for a legitimate reason of course that's done by a company so I mean when you walk into a building you know you potentially scan through your card to get in the door so that's recorded somewhere all of those things that you do in your day-to-day are recorded somewhere on the system, no doubt. But it's what for what purpose? Is it legitimate? Is it lawful? And do you know about it? Yeah. So it all comes down to the policy of the employer. Like, if I'm working from home, doing my eight-hour day, starting at nine o'clock in the morning and being there through till five o'clock, how much is my employer entitled to know about what I'm actually doing? It, I suppose it depends on the legitimate purposes of the business. So there is always going to be a certain level of surveillance, for want of a better word, or monitoring of an employee by an employer. But it has to be proportionate. So I don't believe that a camera on your laptop that shows your image, you know, for those working hours, and that that imaging is then stored in the employer's database... That would I don't believe that would ever be seen as a legitimate monitoring of an employee. But lots of employees have targets to meet. They have um, worksheets to fill out. They have times to record. Various monitoring already happens, and that is probably proportionate and legitimate. But it's, there is a concern about this potential monitoring that remote technology and technology in particular opens up that would just not be seen as proportionate. So is and, this and something that would have to be agreed? Like when you're agreeing with your boss that you're going to work hybridly or work at home full time, is that something that you must sit down with them and say, OK, now here's what I'll give you and all this kind of thing? Yes. And what, what the employer really needs to have is they need to have a, what they, a data protection policy. They need to have, if they have CCTV or some sort of image capturing, they need to notify their employees of that. If they are monitoring their employees in a certain way in respect of, I don't know, minutes typed or minutes to case or whatever it happens to be, where is that stored? How long is it stored for? And if you are using a device like the company laptop or a company phone that is also for personal use, the employer should have what is called an acceptable use policy. So it's accepted by most businesses that, you know, if you have a, a laptop or a phone, you may indeed use it for personal use during the working day. But 
you, and that's accepted to a to a degree. Um, but it's where it goes beyond an acceptable use, the employee could find themselves in hot water very quickly. Mm. And the idea there, I see, where some of the technology, and I, I appreciate you not fully across the technology, but it's all out there to be found, as it were. Like, if you take the average way I'd have my computer open at home when I'm doing the rest of my day at home. I obviously have the working screens, my emails, my editing software, whatever that's uploading. I will have my, I've got my Twitter open at the, right down at the end of the screen. Now, you know, like, is my boss really entitled to know that I'm looking at Twitter? Well, it depends on whether you're spending all your time on Twitter and not doing the actual work. So, as I said, this is the proportionality and this is central to the to the processing of data and the keeping and monitoring of information on employees or persons in general, but particularly in relation to employees. It, it does the fact that you've Twitter open interfere with you achieving your targets or your work performance? If it doesn't, then then what difference does it make? But if it is interfering with your with your performance and say an employer notices that somebody's performance is dropping off, they're not reaching their targets, the work the rate of work has dropped, they may look into why that is. And part of that might be a a review of what's going on on the laptop or at home. And as I said, that is a legitimate purpose, provided it is done for a very specific purpose and the information is kept and used only for that purpose and is then destroyed or deleted or, you know, got rid of. So employers are not entitled to just have enormous amounts of recordings of their employees and hold them for enormous length of time. That is not appropriate under the Data Protection Act and under the GDPR. And if that is happening, then that potentially is a matter for the Data Protection Commissioner. Yeah. Just something there to pick up on. You know, if you've got a phone from work, um, should you be careful about the jokes that you share on it in the group WhatsApp, which is on that phone? Yes, very. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, in general advice, and we, and we quite often There are hear certain it, very yeah. graphic jokes, shall we say, go around mm-hmm. every group WhatsApp that that, yeah. that that I know, but you wouldn't do them on the work phone, or would you? Well, I think our WhatsApp groups might be a bit different. <laughs> but, uh, but personal devices and devices that are kind of a hybrid model where they have some work stuff on it or work might pay for the phone, that technically is a work device. Yeah. Now, so again, it comes under the acceptable use policy. But say your WhatsApp group targets or sends offensive or explicit messages to another employee who then feels humiliated, bullied, whatever it is, and that employee then makes the complaint, then I think it would be legitimate for the employer to pull that out out of your phone. And that's, look, this is where it all gets, where these lines are so blurred between home and work sometimes. Like I'm thinking in terms of Woody. You'll come across Woody, I imagine, Fianna. We don't don't need need to describe any further, but Woody's been flying around like snuff at a wake for the last year and we've had some great laughs with Woody. But you wouldn't put Woody into a work group that might get spotted in. No, exactly. So you just need to, people need to remember there's a difference to being at work and a difference to being at home. And your personal life and your professional life are separate and you need to treat them as separate. And that includes treating the devices separate. So people need to be extremely careful. And we we regularly do talks um, on these things and in relation to protecting data, protecting your employer's data when you're at home, but also protecting yourself from attacks, protecting yourself going forward so that you're not 
facing suddenly a disciplinary investigation by your employer in relation to what you thought was a joke, email or text or something that you pulled up. Now, there also is an element of your surveillance. If you're being surveilled, you should be notified by the company. So there should be a policy and it should be very transparent that you are being monitored and how you're being monitored. But, word of warning, if there is a potential breach of the law and the employer is investigating a criminal act, the employer is then entitled to use covert surveillance. So if somebody is doing something that's unlawful, then the employer, it will be seen as absolutely legitimate for the employer to go into that laptop or go into that device and see exactly what's going on. Okay. So it it's all has to do with this idea of proportionality and what is actually a legitimate use of the information. Treated well, treated with care. Just come back to something not necessarily related to today, but we've talked about it before, Clean. Before I let you go, Tom is asking, you know the additional costs of working from home, like light, water, having a particular room prepared, using your phone line, you know, wear and tear of the house, Wi-Fi. Are you entitled to any kind of an expense to cover that? No, this is, this area, this is an area where our revenue and our employment law really hasn't caught up with what's actually happening on the ground. So there is this potential idea that revenue will allow you an allowance, but your employer has to pay the allowance to you of it's approximately just over three euro a day for those type of things. But you would have to agree that with your employer and your employer has to pay it, which in the middle of a COVID pandemic when business revenue may be down is, is a big ask. Apparently, the government are determined at the moment to look at this and to look at tax treatment of working from home. It's part of their working yeah. remotely strategy. We'll, we'll see in October. There may be some tax relief brought in next in October when the budget yeah. is coming like, out. Like and you're we'll not covered by insurance at home. Work insurance doesn't cover you at home. No. Well, sorry, it does in that if you are working from home and say if you don't have a proper workspace and you then suffer a repetitive strain injury, that may indeed be a problem for the employer. So employers need to ensure through their policies or potential assessments that their employees have a proper space at work. If they need certain technology, the employer should be providing that, such as laptops, screens, whatever it happens to be, things like that. So there there is a potential health and safety at work. You're at work, you're just at home, and the employer still has their same responsibility to you as the employee as they would if you were sitting at the desk at work. Okay, listen, always good uh, to get your uh, experience. Cleena Kenny, who's an employment law specialist with CKT Solicitors. It's a complex one. Thank you, Cleena. It's a complex one. Lots of people like the way they're working from home. I said it here that the way we changed our day last year was when I finish the show here, I would usually have been around until quarter past, half past two, doing maybe three o'clock, doing the other stuff that I need to do in my day. Now I do that at home. And I don't actually particularly want to start doing it in here again. I like the atmosphere doing at home. I like the, you know, the setup of doing at home. It's convenient. It works, and I still get my job done. Um, and you're entitled to that now. You just need to work it out with your boss. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. All the stars on one show.
This is Dua Lipa. Hi, this is Tiesto. Oh, this is Shane Khan. Hey, this is Amory. Hey, it's me, Justin Bieber. This is Joe Corey. I go by the name of the weekend. The Hit Mix with Shane Bucks on your radio. Weeknights from 8. With Lucy's Nissan Charleville. Put a smile on your face with the all-new Duke. The Coupe crossover. LucyMotors.com. Corks 96 FM. Donna Donovan was on listening to our earlier conversation with uh, Dr. John Sheehan, where... If you recall, if you missed the start of the show, where's your note from your parent? No, seriously. We're talking about the, the development uh, where the European Medicines Agency will soon approve giving a Pfizer vaccine to kids aged between 12 and 15. It's the next logical step. And we were speaking to Dr. John Sheehan about that. And Dr. John was suggesting that, you know, in the fullness of time, we will start having the smallies vaccinated as well against COVID-19 because it may be the only way to stamp this thing out. He was explaining how one of the reasons that measles is so rare now is that because we vaccinate kids very young against measles, it just can't spread. So if you get a case in a classroom, it doesn't spread, so it just burns itself out. And if we got that sort of certainty with COVID down the road, then maybe it wouldn't be a bad thing to to give the smallies the COVID vaccine once all the data shows that it's perfectly safe to do so. And where we're headed at the moment with the 12 to 15 year olds, the data, certainly data from Canada, would seem to show that not only is is it safe, but the immune response is incredible when you put it into a young person's arm. All that will roll and develop over the the months to come. But John O'Donovan was on to say to have a doctor on the air condoning vaccinating children is outrageous. The natural immune system of a child should not be interfered with. Yes, John. Yes, John. Your medical degree is very useful, John. Um, Wherever you got it. Yeah. Tell that to all the kids who've had their measles and their mumps and their rubella vaccine and that they're immune from those horrible things, etc., etc., um, thank you, John. 1850 Some people wanting to mention nurses of their acquaintance on the International Day of the Nurse. I'll get to some of them in a little while. But there's a bill before the dial at the moment. It is going to have the name, if it should go through, it will always have the name the Debenhams Bill, although that's not the name of it, but it will be nicknamed the Debenhams Bill. Unfortunately, it can have no effect on the Debenhams workers because you can't apply law that way. So even as he brings it before the House, I think Deputy Mick Barry knows that. But Mick, the significance of it is what? Good morning. Good morning to you, uh, PJ. Um, The significance of the bill is that it would improve workers' rights in a liquidation situation and it would do this in two ways. First of all, um, it would put workers to the very front of the queue when it comes to a payout from a liquidator's pot. And second of all, it would mean that where there is an unpaid collective agreement, such as an unpaid collective redundancy agreement, which has been unpaid, uh, it would be considered as a debt in the eyes of liquidation law and increase workers' uh, chances. You're quite right to say that, unfortunately, um, this bill cannot financially benefit the Debenhams workers. However, if you speak to pretty much any Debenhams worker, I think that they will say to you, that they would be very proud if the legacy uh, of their dispute was a change in the law which was 
improving the situation, not just for the next group of workers who come along, but indeed for the next generation. What do you think are your chances of actually pushing it through? Well, we discovered late last night that the government have decided not to oppose the bill. I think that's uh, an indication on their part of an understanding that there is big public support for the stand that the Debenhams workers have taken and the issues that they've raised. So they are not opposing the bill. However, however, you read the small print, and the small print says that they want to uh, delay and to defer this going to the next stage, third stage, committee stage, for 12 months. So in other words, the earliest that this could reach the next stage, if the government have their way, is May of 2022. And of course, that's completely unacceptable for two reasons. First of all, there are a wave of redundancies in the offing this autumn when the state begins to withdraw its supports from businesses. And there are tens of thousands of workers who will be in need of the kind of protections that this bill will put in place for them. And not in 12 months, but a much shorter time than that. And second of all, you know, it's not as though this is a new issue that's flummox the government and they have to scratch their heads uh, for a year to work out what to do with it, uh, about it. This has been around since before the days of Vita Cortex, which was nearly 10, 10 years ago. I was only watching Reeling in the Years uh, the other night, uh, and the Vita Cortex case was covered. And back then they were talking about this, Mick. It didn't happen then. Yeah, so who's controlled the government and led the government since the Vita Cortex dispute 2011? You had a Fine Gael, uh, uh, Labour government. Then you had a Fine Gael-led government supported from the opposition benches by Fianna Fáil with confidence and supply. And now you've got a full-blown Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil uh, coalition government. So clearly these two parties, who, who are the parties of big business, uh, have been dragging their feet on this issue. Um, but the pressure is building on them, there's no question of that. You're looking, on a, you're looking aren't you, really, at a fundamental change in, in the liquidation law. And, of course, an awful lot of people were very quick to point out last year with regard to the Debenhams workers that if KPMG gave the Debenhams workers anything that they would have been breaking the law because liquidation law deals with the revenue and the banks first and foremost. And only when revenue and banks are satisfied can you start to trickle it down to anyone like a worker. Now, the bill would suggest that you put the workers on an equal par with revenue and the banks. Is that being done anywhere else in the world, Mick? Uh, the bill isn't suggesting that workers would put, be put on equal par with the, rev- with the banks and revenue. It actually goes further than that, PJ and says that workers would come first. And yes, that is done elsewhere in the world. Uh, it's actually done elsewhere in the European Union. Um, I could name you three countries. Do, please. Um, okay. Uh, workers come first for payouts from a liquidator's pot in the following countries. In Greece, in France, mm. and in Portugal. And perhaps it's no accident that all of those countries are countries that have experienced um revolutions, actually, uh, within uh, living memory. Some decades back, but nevertheless, the echoes of that uh, carry on. So if you're saying, if if the Debenham situation had happened, or the Vita Cortex situation, or the Cleary's one from uh, six or seven years ago, that if those had happened in Portugal, that before the banks and revenue get a cent, the workers will be sorted? Correct, PJ. And you want to do that here? Want to do that here as well, because, you know, who builds up a business? Who, who is first and foremost responsibility for the success of a business? Can't happen without the workers. I mean, that's been one of the lessons of the last few years, mm. of the last year, 
with the COVID pandemic. But are you, you know, suggesting that money that might be due to revenue and due to banks would go to workers instead? What I'm saying is that where there's enough money to pay both workers and revenue and banks, that everyone gets their share. But if uh, there isn't enough to go around, that the people who would get the first slice uh, would be the workers. Yes, that is what I'm saying. Okay. So the government have now said that they won't oppose this bill, so it will pass this stage. But then committee stage is where it gets tossed around and amended. But they want to put that off for 12 months. Yeah, I think the fact that they've taken that line is a sign of the fact that they're under pressure on this issue. They're not under pressure on this issue from me as such. They're under pressure on this issue from the stand that's being taken by the Debenhams workers. Uh, But, uh, you know, this issue has been around for a long time. Vita Cortex, Clearies, Arcadia, Debenhams. They don't need a year. Um, What they should do is bite the bullet, vote for this tonight, and if there's any issues that need to be thrashed out, it could be done at the committee stage, and then urgently process so as it's in place for the people who will need it in the autumn. All right, leave it there. Mick, thank you very much. Mick Barry, Cork North Central Solidarity TD. Uh, The idea he has is that the workers would be paid out in future, that the workers would be paid what they're owed before the banks, before the revenue. And before you say that that couldn't be done, it already is done in France, in Greece and in Portugal. So he's not reinventing the wheel. He's basically asking us to buy somebody else's tyres because they already work. I wonder, will it happen? I mentioned at the top of the programme how great TikTok can be for some things. And the halo on TikTok, great proper science and medicine, uh, vaccines and all, good solids. But TikTok can also produce some of the most ridiculous crazes. And there is a craze in the last few days, has made headline news. And it is this craze for buying and selling ducklings through TikTok. Like, what on earth is going on? These helpless little ducklings being sold for five quid. They can bear, they, they don't know how to feed themselves. They've been wrenched away from their parents and and... It's it's cruel to say the very least. Jared O'Leary, uh, Valeria's poultry in McCroom. Jared, good morning. This has, seems to have come out of nowhere. People buying and selling ducklings for a fiver. Yeah, all, all of a sudden, since Saturday evening, Sunday morning, it, it, we've been inundated with calls. Like there's always been demand for ducklings, but not to this level. And moreover, with teenage girls. And um, what's the craze about? What's it all about? Do you know? Well, we presume it's to do with this TikTok video. And uh, there's people getting ducklings and keep they want to have them as indoor pets or they're going traveling around in cars, putting pictures up with them and I don't know, it, it, just, it's a trend at the moment. But it's what's happening afterwards, what to do with them afterwards. Most of the people that seem to be ringing are from inner cities and they might have a place to provide for them, but they might not. And in their stories, they're taking boiled ducklings from... Uh, canals and then when they're done then they're just releasing back in but sure the motor duck's not there to mind them mm. and they're easy preying for a predator or else they'll think you know they can only stay swimming for so long yeah. and uh, so they're they, they have not had time to learn from their mother how to be independent and, and they're just helpless when you put them back yeah and if they're under 10 days old they, they wouldn't have enough you know they need heat and if they don't have their mother or if they don't have an infrared lamp or a brooder, they're not going to survive. 
Um, once they're over 10 days old, they will survive to a point, but that's if they're looked after and fed. But if they're on their own, they don't stand a chance. Yeah. And and the fear is, I think, among people like yourself and others, the, the, the Dublin animal care people were on the news last night saying, right, so you get your, you pay your fiver for your duckling, you take your picture, your selfie, or whatever, and then you just release the duckling into the nearest river. You might as well just kill it. I suppose it would be probably a kinder thing to do if they did, because it's going it's gonna it's just don't know how long it's gonna suffer for. Do you know it could be there it's just you know when you're dealing with baby and I'm over, a lot of people are in they have no experience at all. And like in general when you when someone's buying something, they'll ask you questions how how to look after, what to feed, just what the people are ringing at the moment, they're not asking any of that. They just wonder how much and how soon can they get them. You would obviously buy and sell poultry as part of your trade, but you, you've come across people that are just buying them for fun these days. Yeah, w- one person, when we asked them um, what they wanted for, and she said straight out, it was for TikTok. You refused, and, I assume. Oh, I did, I did, yeah. And then there was another customer, we said, we asked him, have you a flock number? And uh, he said no, and he said, look, should sell one under the table? And I said no, and uh, he was saying that he wanted for a young, young fella as a pet, and... I said, look, if you have a flock number, I've no issue dealing with you like that. And he said, ah, he said, go on. And he said, basically call me if in something and started if in blind into the phone. So I put the phone down on them. Good man. Good man. Jerry, um, listen, that's the message. Don't do, don't get involved in this. It's cruel. It it, it, it no. might be cute on the video, but it's very cruel to the little animal. It is. It is. And like, like whenever one is ringing, we're still getting phone calls. And, um, like, some people ask for baby ducks and baby chicks, and we're just saying no. Was they hear about flock numbers? That generally puts a stop to it. Um, but like, so, like we we've we all different age customers, like from small kids that are with families. But you'd know about they'd come with their prepared with their cage, and they'd come. Uh, they'd have a res- bit of research about different breeds and stuff like that. But at the moment, it's just a mad craze. And I was actually talking to a customer yesterday in Bunratty, and they said in Limerick, uh, no, there's a craze with baby goats as well. Um, so I, I don't know it's just the, they're small creatures they're helpless and they can't talk for themselves so like t- t- whoever to be after them are, are responsible yeah yeah. alright we, we talk about the good and bad of social media this this is definitely the bad end of it thanks very much that's Ger from Ger, uh, from O'Leary's Poultry in McCroom the lines are live and we're ready to talk can we just talk Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. We'd all like to think that Mick Barry's new law would, would fly through and that those rights would be there for the worker to get paid off before if not at the same time as the revenue and the banks. And he's right when he says you can do it in Portugal and you can do it in France. And if it becomes a statutory payment, well, the government decides what's statutory and all of that. thing about it is, if the money isn't there to meet that cost and the company says it doesn't have the money to meet the cost, then it's the government ends up paying it anyway. So he's effectively asking for 
government money, taxpayers' money to be used when the employer doesn't have the money to pay. But I guess his argument would be, well, you don't have any money for the banks of the revenue until you've finished with the workers. See where it goes. Interest. It's an interesting one, and we don't want any more people caught out like the uh, Peter Cortex people were, or the Clearish people were, or many, many more besides. And as he's right, you see, there are going to be loads and loads of revenue people. Sorry, loads and loads of um, people losing their jobs uh, in retail as a result of this pandemic, and they're all going to want their redundancy. Um, whether the bill goes through or not, nobody knows. It won't be applicable to the Debenhams workers because they're already... You can't apply it retrospectively. But I'd like to know what you think about it, though. Should the worker, uh, the, the workers, be the first ones to be paid before the bank or before the uh, tax? And should that be law? It's not law now. He wants to make it law that the workers have to be sorted out before the revenue or the banks. I'd like to know what you think about that. 1850 715 uh, 996 on other financial matters and we had a conversation on the show yesterday with Ono Brin of Sinn Féin about where we go with this damn housing crisis of ours and cuckoo funds and huge swathes of property being bought off the plans where we go I was thinking and I was reading an article in the Irish Independent this morning like how old were you when your parents bought or were given or got their first house. Like if you grew up in a council house, how old were your parents or how old were you when your parents got that house? Or if your parents owned their own house, like how old were you when they were able to buy that house? Because the chances that you can buy your own house at the age that your parents bought their first house, pretty pretty small these days. Like I was, I'm trying to think now, looking back what age was I, I was about, I think I was 29. 28 or 29 when we signed the papers on on my first house, our first house. Um, and the chances of being able to do that at 28 or 29 these days are much, much, much smaller than they were. So you've kind of got a generation that is poorer than their parents were. The chances of anyone under 30s buying a home has gone way, way down. And rental costs have doubled. And I would just hate to be in that space at the moment. Uh, watching, as I said yesterday, Claire Bourne the other night, and people people on, with good jobs, good salaries, stuck, unable to afford a house, unable to raise money for a mortgage, unable to afford the rent that they're being asked to pay and the rent they're being asked to pay is so damn high they can't afford to save for the mortgage they can't get. It's all a mess. Charlie Weston's writing about it in the Irish Independent, their personal finance editor. Charlie, good morning. Good morning, PJ. We're, we're at, at, a po- at a point now where you're just at the point of throwing your hands up in the air and going, God, I would absolutely hate to be 29 again. Yeah, it's certainly, you're, you're one of the lucky ones if, if um, you're like myself and yourself and bought... Uh, a few years ago, I was a bit later new buying. It was in my thirties, but um, yeah, God help anybody trying to buy today because the housing supply and affordability crisis has just deepened. I mean, there was figures yesterday on rents, and they continue to go surging upwards, and they've doubled in the last decade. Uh, we, we're expecting uh, in the next 
there are figures out from the Central Statistics Office on property prices for March. You know, the likelihood is they'll have gone up again, so it makes it very, very difficult. You know, you really have to ask yourself, why did rents double over the last 10 years? You know, we've gone from average rents of about 740 euros across the country to a situation now where it's 1,400 euros. It's nearly 1,500. Mm. And it's higher in cities, you know, it's... um, it's higher in, in, in Cork City, it's higher in Dublin City. Um, you, you know, that's a doubling of rents. That's that's extraordinary. And to have to fund that, that those kind of rents means you have to earn a hell of a lot of money because, yeah. you know, it's recommended you shouldn't be spending more than a third of your income, your net income on rents or, or your accommodation costs, your rent or your uh, your mortgage. And, and the irony of it is in most places, apart from very select parts of Dublin, like Dublin 6 and Dublin 4, it's actually cheaper to service a mortgage if you can find a property, if you can get approved for a mortgage. It's cheaper to service a mortgage now than it is to rent. There's a chronic, chronic shortage of places to rent, uh, particularly outside Dublin, because so many people moved back during the lockdown to to out, out of the cities, out of yeah. the Cork City, out of out of Dublin City. And um, we've seen, um, you know, rental costs went up by 7% in the first three months of this year outside of Dublin. So, and, you know, a really deepening crisis there. You're right, PJ, it is a nightmare for younger people trying to buy their own home. Looking back, and yesterday when I was talking to Owner Bryn, we were recalling that back in a much darker time in our history financially, we were broke as a nation in the 50s and 60s. But Sean Lamass and before him, Eamon de Valera, built tens of thousands of houses. Whole communities in this city of ours here yeah. were built as, as public housing on borrowed money. And is that where we could go? Should we go back there? We have already got a massive national debt. Should we really be countenancing borrowing more money to build? Yeah, well, you know, it's investment. It's an investment. I mean, uh, otherwise we're dependent on the, the foreign investment funds, what we call the cuckoo funds. We named them cuckoo funds in the independent. I mean, they, they've been buying up housing estates for a while, longer before this became an issue, and we've re- been reporting on it now for two years. In Lucan in Dublin, in North County Dublin, Donabate, Balbriggan, they've been buying houses, uh, not just in Minute, in, in Mullen Park, um, which, which emerged recently. This has been going on for two years now, where they've been buying housing estates. If, if the government don't fund these things, you're, you're dependent on these funds from outside, uh, paying, you know, funding builders, and that's what's happening. Before a, you know, a digger put puts its uh, bucket into the ground to, to to dig a hole for for a house or an apartment, many many developers are are, are um, you know, have sold what what they're going to build to to, to a fund of some kind. And um, you know, if that's what we want, fine. If we want institutional investors. Uh, controlling the market, but if they, you know, we 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 don't want to be a nation of renters. I think Irish people want to be homeowners. Mm. If you can't be a homeowner, you're renting, and um, if you're renting, you know, you're at the mercy of a market where rents are going through the roof. Yeah. And, uh, there is rent cap. There's an effective rent cap there, four percent, but they're managing to find ways around that. And many of the more plush apartments, the, the, there's huge vacancy rates because they don't want to have to cut the rents uh, because they won't be able to go back up again. So they're, they're, they're leaving them vacant rather than renting them out. So we have a real crisis. Yes, mm-hmm. of course we should be building houses. Of course we should uh, have our own, um, uh, you know, f- uh, 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 
housing stock and, 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 and local authorities shouldn't be buying from developers funded by cuckoo funds. Uh, we have a mess on our hands and it's going to take a while to unravel it and this government is slowly realising that people are not going to forg- you know, forgive it unless it does something about this and it's going to take ages to do something because you can't build houses quickly, unfortunately. And, and that's the, the worst part of it and of course with the price of houses also going up and the rents skyrocketing and so many people caught in that trap now where they're trying to save for their deposit and literally eating noodles to get that money away then the then the price goes up again which means the deposit goes up again it's an awful never ending loop and what also people who lived through 2007 and 2008 mercifully uh, I recovered. I, I I came through it unscathed. That I had my house bought. I, it it got hard for a while, but we managed. But thousands of people lost their homes. Thousands of people just just we are terrified of going back there, Charlie. They are. They are. And you're right. You're right. It is. It's a vicious circle. I mean, people are paying too much for rent, so they can't save. And you know, as you say, that even if they eat noodles and 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 live very cheaply, and people have been able to live. People who are lucky enough to keep a job have been able to live cheaply. Uh, you know, but paying a rent in Cork City of 1,483, that's nearly 1,500 euros. That's up 6% in the last year. If you're paying that kind of rent, you know, unless you're in a massive job with a massive salary, how are you going to afford to pay anything else? But it's even worse outside of uh, Cork City. In Cork County, rents, according to the DAF.ie rental report, outside of Cork City, rents are up 8.7% in the last year. That's nearly 9% in a year. That is unsustainable. Nobody's wages are going up at that rate. Most people, younger people in particular, are, 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 are suffering from stagnant wages if they've maintained, maintained a job at all because a lot, an awful lot of young people are in um, the kind of jobs that were shut down for months and months and months, almost a year. They're in the, um, hospitality. They're in, um, uh, they're in you know, the, um, the, the non-essential retail. They're in the arts. They're in those kind of jobs and they haven't had a job. So their chances of buying a house are so slim and you're paying through the nose for rents it's a really really difficult situation mm. uh, there's tiny numbers of houses available to rent as well if you get chucked out because the landlord decides they want to sell it and you know they use one of the exemptions to, to get you out they want to sell up or they want to move a, re- a relative in how many houses are available to rent just two and a half thousand in Dublin 1,100 in, in, in the rest of the country tiny tiny numbers yeah. of houses in cities like Cork Galway Limerick Waterford there's only 300 houses to rent. So, you know, this is really a mess. It's an unbelievable mess mm-hmm. that's blown up in our faces. It's been allowed to fester for too long, and now uh, we, we have a chronic problem, I'm afraid. One thing that happens at a time like this, Charlie, when you have, like you said, a chronic problem, is every kind of political populism uh, takes up the newspapers and the airwaves and people who probably will never be in a position to have to do it will tell you they'll solve it for you if you vote for them. Yep. So take the politics and the populism away from it. Is there something solid that you, as a, a, a personal finance editor and financial analyst, is there something solid that we could actually do that might help? Well, I think, you know, what, what, what we could do is... is there is a ready-to-go solution in terms of there's a lot of planning permissions there. We constantly hear a whinge about the planning system and how slow it is. According to Ola Hegarty, she's a, um, a lecturer in, 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 in architecture in UCD, 
there is 40,000 planning permissions. There's enough, enough planning permissions out there for 40,000 uh, planning permissions. So what's holding them back? Probably the costs and the infrastructure, you know, I mean, the, the, the connections, like the water connections, the roads, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, so th- that needs to be funded. But also, why are they holding back? Because they're quite happy to see prices rise. You know, we could do more as well. The state could take maybe less uh, out of the cost of a new home. A new home, there's something like, you know, there's fast, there's levies, there's uh, water levies, there's uh, all sorts of taxes imposed on first-time buyers. Now, they don't have to pay property tax, but if you're buying a new home, there's any number of different charges that the state take out of it uh, in taxes and levies. So maybe we could lower those, And, and but the, the worry is that the developers are just pocketed as... as um, as, as, as extra profit. The mm. other thing is we keep introducing measures that are, that are making it easier to afford the houses or to, 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 you know, and instead of making houses more affordable. So you give more money to buyers and all that's doing is pushing up prices. I mean, that's why there's such criticism of the, the government's affordable housing yeah. scheme, that, you know, because... If, they're, they're, if the buyer knows, or if, they, if the seller knows you can get another 80 or 90 grand, then the price of the house goes up by another 80 or 90 grand. Exactly, exactly. You know, and instead of helping, you know, to, to, to make, it, make it more, to cut the cost of supplying the, the, the property, you're giving people more money to chase up the price. You're right, exactly. So, mm. you know, And I was looking at a report rating. the other night in the news as well where the cost of materials, the, the cost of steel has gone up by a third. The cost of bricks and mortar alone has gone up by a huge amount uh, during wood the pandemic. Well, you're right, PJ. Yeah, exactly. Wood in particular in this country in wood. particular because there's a real issue around issuing licenses to fell wood. So, yeah, and the, you know, the pandemic has, 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 has exacerbated that problem, the costs going up. So, yeah, you have a horrible perfect, you know, what they call a perfect storm. It's an awful phrase, but yeah, you have a chronic shortage of building. Uh, you have builders who, who weren't able to build for months and, you know, you have, you have, you have raw material prices going up. Uh, so, you know, it's going to take a while to sort this one out. And nobody who tells you they have an easy, you know, solution that'll do this quickly is telling the truth either. It will take a while to get over this. Uh, but we really, really need to tackle it. At least there's a renewed focus on it, yeah. and the energy of the government now has been put into doing something about this. But we need the same focus on it that we had during the pandemic, where every government department, every minister was, was focused on the one thing, that was the pandemic. Uh, as the pandemic eases, and we're not out of the woods yet, obviously, but as that eases, the focus now needs to be the same on housing. Housing, housing, housing needs to mm. be the first, second and third thing that they look at in government. Charlie, those of us who came through 2008, 2009, 2010 uh, relatively unscathed and consider ourselves blessed for that are now worried about our kids are we headed into another 2008-2009 crash if things keep going the way they are I don't know will they crash I think the demand is there I mean unless the you know I mean there's a lot of people with pandemic savings so there's pent up demand and they have the money to this is what's pushing up, partly pushing up prices. It's a combination of a chronic shortage, so that's a classic supply issue, and then pent-up demand, you know, demand there from people who've managed to, who've been lucky enough to save a few bob during the, the pandemic because they weren't going out, weren't going on holidays, they weren't uh, socialising. Uh, so, I mean, I don't see it crashing. People worry about that a lot. I mean, uh, I, I'm not sure that it will crash unless there's another dramatic, um, you know, shock for the economy, but... Certainly, it's only gone one way. House prices are going to keep rising. That's the unfortunate thing here. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I just don't see it changing. Um, hopefully, we won't get a crash. Okay, all right. Leave it there for today. Thank you, as always, Charlie Weston, the personal finance editor with Independent. Uh, it's 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 bleak. 
It's absolutely bleak. I would hate, hate to be uh, a person in my late 20s or early 30s now trying to get my my, my keys into the door of my home. Uh, I really would. 1850-715-996. We are asking for um, people to tell us about nurses that mean a lot to them because today is the International Day of the Nurse. Emma says, my brother's a psychiatric nurse. Shout out to all the psychiatric nurses. The hardest job you can imagine. Looking after the most vulnerable, most forgotten and most ignored members of our society. Giving support to the families that have been lost without them. Big thank you to all the nurses and the mercy, says Francis. They're also very good. Neve McCarthy, the MS nurse and the mercy is excellent. Goes above and beyond the call of duty. Especially now as the CUH isn't, as the CHH won't support neurology in the mercy and can't take MS patients and won't cover our medications. There's a lot more going on there. But thanks anyway to, to Neil McCarthy for the wonderful service. Dee has sent us a voice message. Here we go. Morning, PJ and your team. Um, just listening to John's comment a while ago totally irritated me. I'm like, I get it. We all are entitled to our opinion and views. But like today of all days, recognizing all the hard work, dedication that our nurses are doing, we should be so glad that they're still here and not going abroad because we're so damn lucky to have them. And don't get me wrong, off sometimes John's comments are, I think they're okay, but not today. He's popped it again. That's John's comment earlier on. Thank you, Dee. John's comment to have a doctor on condoning vaccinating children is outrageous the natural immune system of a child should not be interfered with someone rang in when I asked John about his medical degree and said why does PJ have to be so sarcastic after that person commented about protecting the natural immune system of a child, he should be keeping his sarcastic comments to himself, he's not a doctor, the show to be called PJ's opinion line, but you know what caller Uh, one thing I do on this show from time to time is when I talk to a doctor or a nurse or a scientist I accept their science and their medicine but someone who's got no medical qualifications talking to me about the immune system of a child I'll always take the doctor over them any day of the week thank you and good night can we just talk the opinion line on Corks 96 FM with Dairy Made Premium Spread 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Lovely piece on the news on Virgin Media last evening um, about Sean Sean Kinnan. We got this in the last couple of days. Molly was asking to know could we give him a mention? He's a very special lad, a very special achievement for him. Molly, good morning to you. Good morning, TJ. How are you? Good. Tell me about Sean. So, Sean is my younger brother. He's 15 years old. Um, he was diagnosed with autism when he was five. Um, he recently came out of school uh, due to his mental health and stuff. He was finding it very difficult. So, he's now doing home tuition. Um, and with his home tutor, they were working on kind of life skills and things like that, doing mm. cooking and baking. And he just talked such a shining to baking he found out that it's something that he really loves doing and he wanted to pursue it right and it became far more than just a hobby didn't it yeah it did he came to us and he said this is something that i really enjoy doing and i think this is something that i'd be really good at and i'd i'd like to 
you know, do this as a, as a job. Um, so, yeah, he came up with the name himself and he, you know, went and designed the logo and everything and he's, he's absolutely delighted with himself now. He really is. Yeah, his logo is brilliant, actually, and it's just the autistic baker. Yes, it's um, it's funny because we, he never, like, used to refer to himself as autistic. He'd always say, I have autism or I am a person with autism. Mm. So when he came to us and said, oh, I want to call it the autistic baker, we were we were shocked because it's not a word he uses. Yeah. And when we asked him why he wanted to use it, he said it was because... First of all, he thought it was hilarious. He thought it was a great play on words. He loved it. And then he said, it, it's great for other people, other kids like me, to see that, you know, it's not, a disability isn't a hindrance and that it can be something. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Like, so great and that he can use it to make other people aware of how they can be more accepting and things like that. Yeah, he just found his niche and wants to go with it. And at 15, to have that certainty in your life is brilliant for anybody. Yeah, we were shocked. We were really blown away by him the last few days. We really are. What's the take-up been like? I mean, he's out there now with his logo. What's the take-up of his work been like? It's been amazing. There's people from all over the country sharing it. We're getting thousands of comments and shares and likes and they've all been so positive and so supportive um everyone is just in awe of them and we're we're so so proud we never in a million years would we have thought that he would have been capable of you know doing something like this if you'd have said to us as a family 10 years ago that he would have went and um you know, came up with all this himself and found something that he's so passionate about, we would have, we wouldn't have believed it at all. So we're just in awe of him. And isn't it funny that he was so uncomfortable and happy at school and then yeah. when he comes out of school, and that's not, that happens, he was, came out of school and then just discovered his passion 
and and, yeah. and here you are now on the it, he's on the verge of actually having his own business. Yeah, and you know it started off as something so small for him. It was just you know he just wanted to bake breads and to to have people buy them and stuff, you know. And now it's just it's blown us away. But he really is. He's very happy. He's very happy. And he's got a brand at fifteen. Yes, which is so important for any business or any, you know, company or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's so important to have that brand and a brand that people love and that people identify with as well. Yeah, well, you know what? I wish him nothing but the best. I, I'm so, so thrilled for him. And I, I know he'd be a bit nervous to speak on radio, which is why yeah. which is why you're here, Molly. And I fully, yes. underst- I fully understand that. He and wasn't meant you. to actually speak on the TV yesterday either. And he just kind of said, oh yeah, I'll do it. That can happen, can't it? If you asked him to talk to me now, he probably wouldn't be able to. But Paul was there with the mic and said, yeah, I'll go for it. And you just yeah. can't. You you just don't know, do you? Oh, no, yeah. was, was, was that was you, was that you shedding a tear in the background? It was. Yeah, I was bawling. I was. <laughs> I was so like just proud and the way he spoke and yeah. nobody had like you know practiced or anything with him. He just came up with it on the spot. So I was. I was a bit. I, I really was. I'm just looking at his logo and his pictures here. I am craving a sharp knife and some butter for that <laughs> bread. I, it looks gorgeous. Listen, best to look to him and, and everybody else connected with it. And here's hoping that we'll be talking about this guy for a long time to come. It, it's Sean Kinnan is his name, uh, the autistic baker. His use of the word, and I'm glad that Molly addressed that because just as a complete aside here, I've often asked the question, and we've discussed it on the program because we talk about autism so much. Is it is a person autistic, or do they have autism, or do are are they a person with aut? It's up to them. It's up to them. And Sean decided to call himself the autistic baker. Good on him. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Just on the Debenhams bill, Whitecliff Jim. I like the name. How could the government force a private company from a different country that has left Ireland to give these people more money? Well, they can't, Jim. Uh, and McBarry, to his credit, acknowledges that even if this thing does get through and does get stamped into law, it'll have no effect on anybody gone before. It'll have no effect on Debenhams. It's, it's just that for the future, the bill envisages that the worker would be prioritised uh, when, a, when a business goes to the wall and goes into the liquidation process and has to deal with revenue and has to deal with banks and has to deal with creditors, that the worker would be prioritised. Uh, Mick doesn't particularly care where the money comes from, which I guess that's another matter for another discussion, but in Portugal and France and Greece, as he quotes, then the worker does get priority over the banks and the revenue, and he just wants that as a right for future workers. It'll have no effect on the Debenhams workers. 1850-715-996. On housing, we all know the working class person is on the bottom of the list when it comes to their rights with this government. Craig the trucker says, the way to stop the cuckoo funds buying up the new affordable houses is limited by PPSN. 
You should only be able to purchase one of these numbers by on one of these houses by supplying your PPSN. A limit of only one house can be bought this way. Companies don't have PPS numbers. Actually, Craig, that's a cool idea. That is a good idea. Take a bit of broadening out, I suppose, but it is a good idea. Just on vaccines. Um, I feel physically sick, says Danielle, with the thought of my kids or my teenager getting that vaccine. You don't say why, Danielle. But I, I, I was kind of broadening that out with Dr. Sheehan. He said he could understand that. Um, but, you know, it's a decision parents will have to make for their young people, I guess. It won't be compulsory. At least I don't think it will. It's just that at the moment they're looking at it. There's no one going to force it on anybody in the immediate future. Danielle says, I feel physically sick with the thought of my kids or my teenagers getting that vaccine. That's an unfortunate way to feel, Danielle. But I can understand how you would and how a lot of parents would. But I guess we just, we kind of have to go with the doctors and go with the scientists and go with the the people who, who know what they're talking about. Like, I would recommend to you that TikTok group, um, that TikTok stream, Danielle. Anybody who's any way nervous or any way cautious or any way hesitant about vaccines and stuff like that uh, would recommend Team Halo on TikTok. I mentioned it very early this morning. We now have a Cork GP involved in Team Halo, but Team Halo is actually a global group of doctors and scientists who's taken it upon themselves to reassure people like Danielle about vaccines. Um, like here's a t- I, I just grabbed this off of Halo uh, this morning just to give you an idea of the kind of stuff that's on it. Now, lots of them have music and video, which I suppose is no good to me here on the program. But here's just one of the typical Team Halo TikToks from, from one of the doctors involved. Will my life return to normal if I get a vaccine? That is one of the questions I got today from the community. So the answer is slowly but surely, but not right away. Definitely one thing that is clear is the vaccine will be necessary for getting out of this pandemic. Without a vaccine, there is no way to completely control the spread of this virus. We've seen that from countries in Asia that have completely brought down infections. And then we see resurgences happening every once in a while in the absence of immunity against this virus. The one thing that is important to remember is that we need a certain proportion of the population to get immunized, to make antibodies before we start seeing major reductions in overall infections. So Team Halo on TikTok, loads and loads of videos like that, full of science and information. Um, But people are worried. You have to accept that. People are worried. And hopefully if you look at a group like that or a, a stream like that, Danielle, it might address some of your worries. Anna Dillon works in the CDU, uh, in the Emergency Department at CUH, that Clinical Decisions Unit, if I have my my letters right. She's been there since the old A&E. Excellent nurse, also looks after the young, making sure they have clean clothes and are fed. Florence Nightingale would be proud of Catherine. Loads and loads of messages coming in for nurses. Joe says, my sister-in-law, Siobhan O'Brien, in Castletown Bear, Castle Treasure rather, Castle Treasure, is a nurse at CUH. 
She's a marvellous neighbour. She saved the life of a local mechanic after he was involved in a car crash. Another day she came upon a crash in Douglas Village, helped to calm the elderly man while waiting for the emergency services. She's a great neighbour. She does shop runs. Uh, she originally is from County Tyrone, married my brother from her brother-in-law, Joe. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. On this, the International Day of the Nurse. If there's a nurse you'd like us to mention, bring it forward. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Corks ninety six FM with Dairy Made Premium Spread, one hundred percent natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Access all areas on Corks ninety six FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Corks Entertainment. Drawing on the award-winning book A Ghost in the Throat, Darren Negriefra presents a live literary event created in collaboration with filmmaker Tygo Sullivan and composer Linda Buckley. It's a live stream event taking place on June 27th with more details at the venue's website everymancork.com Access all areas the independent release of her debut EP Wildflower in 2020 saw stunning newcomer and multi-instrumentalist Lorraine Nash quickly become one of the most played Irish artists on radio. Lorraine plays a live stream show from Triscoll on June 4th with tickets available from the venue's website. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Courts 96 FM. Isn't apropos of absolutely nothing here? Something you might want to look out for during the summer. I love this idea. Um, we all know how lovely a donut or a, a, a donut is, yes, and how lovely a Jaffa cake is. I love Jaffa cakes. I have a thing about Jaffa cakes. Um, I could often be found sort of quietly concealing a box of Jaffa Cakes at home so that no one can find them. I I, I love my Jaffa Cakes. The Jaffa Cake people have come up with a wonderful idea this summer. (laughs) It's called the Jonut. The what, Paige? The Jonut. And it is a combination of a Jaffa Cake and a donut. It's the size of a donut... It's made up the same way as a Jaff cake, only the bottom part is a little bit softer. And they reckon there'll be a massive craze over the summer. <laughs> I'm reading in the sun here about how I've forgotten about this. The big argument about the Jaffa cake. Uh, is it a biscuit or is it a cake? It's just yummy. It doesn't last long enough in my house for it to ever figure out what it is. I can't wait to try these. There was one a few years ago, um, and I got one. Uh, my my friend Kiran was doing some work up in Newry because you couldn't get them here. They were in Sainsbury's. Um, they, they, I don't think they ever came here, but they launched a giant one, a giant Jaffa cake, and I remember seeing it on an ad uh, in the UK. And they were in Sainsbury's, and and I couldn't get one here. And my buddy Kieran was doing some business up and down to the to the north, and he got me one in Sainsbury's. And honest to God, it was the most indul. Like imagine a imagine a Jaffa cake like six inches wide. That's what this was like. <laughs> it was just pure and absolute indulgence. So now they've got one that they're bringing out for the summer. The Joe Nut. It'll be a ring donut with the lovely dark chocolate on top. The lovely orange filling in the sponge, and the sponge will be a little bit softer than it is on the 
on the regular, regular Bicky. I haven't seen them around Cork yet. If you should happen to see one, see a packet of them, um, let me know and I'll be out there to buy one. Came across a new term in the last while, just reading around as you do. We know about emotional maturity and how we all have to try to you know, develop our emotional maturity. We know what emotional control is and how we try to control our emotions rather than have them controlling us. But I've never heard the term emotional agility, but is the new thing. What is emotional agility and how we do we go about developing it? Patricia Tiernan is a career and personal coach. Patricia, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. It's a new term on me. What does it mean? So emotional agility is, is really a skill that we can develop that supports us to deal with challenging emotions and stories um, that are, are, are going on in, internally. So it supports us to live a life that's more in alignment with our values. Like emotional maturity suggests that, you know, you, you control your emotions in a way that doesn't let them control your response too much. But is that is it a similar thing, emotional agility? Um, it's it's similar in this in the sense that rather than becoming your thought and getting entangled in it, that that you're able in the moment to step back from it, observe it, and and to really recognise what it's telling us. So emotional agility is is really the the acknowledgement that we all experience uncomfortable emotions and I think really in the world that we live in today where we're encouraged to be you know very happy and positive there's a kind of added layer that when we feel um, emotions that we don't want to be experiencing such as anger or sadness um, guilt shame any of those kind of emotions we can there's an extra layer that we can actually feel that it were wrong for feeling those things and we can either suppress them in a sense of you know trying to do things to distract us away from those thoughts like over shopping over eating over drinking any of those things or the opposite as well is that we can ruminate and add legs to those thoughts and, and they can be overpowering and, and take over and and cause us to act in ways that that we're we're not happy with ourselves we know that that we're not living a life that's true to who we want to be like if you have a, a meeting say, with your boss at quarter past nine in the morning and it, it, it mightn't go so well and, and tempers flare and you leave that office in a, a bit cross, shall we say. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know that it's, you know, it's going to be fine, but you're just a bit cross. Is the emotional agility then the ability on your way up the stairs to do your own job? Well, that's that now. That's over. That's done with. Let's get on with the rest of the day. Is that emotional agility? It, it, in I suppose it's a little bit more than that in the sense that it's recognising, let's say, like you said, emotions flared. So so when you come out of that meeting, um, it, it's actually looking at, at what happened in the sense of, like, what, what was I feeling in that? If I was feeling angry in that meeting, what was causing me to feel, feel angry? And to look underneath that in the sense of um, what value 
wasn't being met. So for instance, it might be that you felt angry because you felt you weren't being heard, you weren't being seen, you mm. weren't being valued, um, any of those kind of things. And especially if if this is something that you've, you've felt uh, before and maybe it bubbled up in that meeting, like what caused it to bubble up? And we don't want to get to that point where, where, where you're actually like, flaring up in a meeting. Emotional right. agility is the ability to, to recognize, say in a meeting, if I was if suddenly feeling angry internally, like rather than overreacting in that meeting, it would be, it'd be supporting myself to, you know, what's, what's going on. Gotcha. And more importantly, in this moment, how do I want to be perceived and what's most important here? Right. Um, and to take that step back and, and act in alignment with, with how you want, want to be. And most certainly afterwards, looking at, um, in the sense of, um, of that anger, where was it stemming from? And if if I want a better relationship with my manager, what would that look like? And what's in my control that I would be able to do to support that to happen? And that might be a direct conversation mm. in regards to to what you're picking up. Um, but but certainly it's about taking positive actions around what it is that that you're looking for. And in our private lives, in our personal lives, how is emotional agility a, a skill that we should nurture? In, in our in our private lives, um, so say for example, especially with the pandemic, I, I know a lot of us are, uh, or you know, our our, our moods are, are, are certainly being affected. And, and let's say in my personal life that I, I noticed of least that I that I'm feeling a little bit more down than, than normal, and, and something's not right. So rather than you know, say, okay, I'm going to jump online, buy myself a top, or have an extra uh, glass of wine, or or just pull the covers over my head and, and kind of. Um, start thinking about all that's wrong with my life. It's to actually step back and and ask ourselves like what's 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 causing me to feel feel sad lately, um, and then to actually recognise, um, for example, what what value is not being met. So so say for me, a value for me is connection with people, mm. and particularly in the pandemic, you know that's that's been missing. So it's asking like what can I do to to support myself to feel more connected to friends and family. And part of emotional agility is to having the courage to step outside of our comfort zone. So it's recognizing that um, that often to, to get the thing that we want, we'll have to do something that might be uncomfortable. Yeah. Is there a and touch of feel the fear, but do it anyway? About absolutely, yeah, abs- absolutely. Because there's a, there's a false misconception misconception that um you know if something is meant to be or to be for before us like everything will just feel okay and natural and easy and that's not true to 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 live a a life of meaning will actually mean stepping outside of your comfort zone and that's where the magic happens in terms of learning and growth and development Mm. but there's that that unease in between and emotional agility is having the courage um, to do those things and recognizing that it's okay to feel this comfort it, it's it's part of of it it's part of yeah. life because the the human condition is to avoid things that make us uncomfortable or make us feel uncomfortable uh, but sometimes that that avoidance can stand in the way of your progression absolutely yeah. absolutely and, and just in terms of you know what you, you spoke about there in personal life like it might 
it might feel uncomfortable to pick up the phone to a friend that you haven't seen in years that you know that you really got on well with. Yes. You, you know, because you can have that internal voice saying, Shh, they mightn't even remember who I am, or they might think yes. I'm asking them, you know? And then, but actually, when you pick up the phone, um, there's, there's that sense of joy and liberation and and that that sense of being connected to someone. So it's getting over that hump in order to, to get what it is that you're really craving and looking for. Because, yeah. again, make the friend that we haven't connected with for a long time, you mm. pick up the phone, you open up their number and you say, sure, why? Why will I? If they mm. wanted me, they'd ring me kind of thing. That's your yeah. inner That's your inner negative. What you yeah. should actually be saying is, you know what? They haven't heard from me in a long time. If he answers the phone, he answers the phone. If he doesn't, no harm done. Exactly, exactly. And it's, it's not to not to overthink it, not to to sweat the, the small stuff, and to, and to really recognise that you know there there will be a sense of discomfort, and that's okay. Isn't that a great saying though? And we all say, "Don't sweat the small stuff." I think what you've done is summed it into a into a line that maybe emotional agility is learning not to sweat the small stuff. Mm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Trying to decide what actually matters. Hugely, um, hugely, and, and and emotional agility is is being aware of of what your values are, and actually taking steps towards them rather than away from them. So, the world we live in now is is you know increasingly more busy, and there's more distractions. Um, that, that take us away from what really matters to us, and it's very easy to get lost in in social media, um, you know, in various different online shopping distractions. But um, if we really live in, in alignment with our values and do things um, that support us to feel connected to who we really, really are, then we really that supports us to to feel happier, more successful, um, and just better equipped to deal with what life throws at us. Okay, okay. Thanks for that. That's uh, uh, career and personal coach Patricia Tiernan on the new complex, or the new concept, rather, of emotional agility. There's a few books out on it. Look, look, up, look it up. There's loads of good articles online about, about what it is. But effectively, it's not sweating the small stuff, learning how not to sweat the small stuff, and learning how to, dis, to, to factor out or to figure out what matters, what doesn't, and act upon that distinction. It's an awful lot more than it sounds, but it's interesting. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. It's a week tomorrow that we kick off the Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon. But you know the way that Facebook throws these things up on your timeline Every day, your memories from a couple of years ago. I'm reminded by Bookface today that it was four years ago today we had a heel appeal 
at UCC. Now, I'm not sure if the health and safety men will ever again allow us to do a heel appeal, COVID or no COVID, but for the couple of years we did it, it was the most incredible fun. And we had great participation from all sorts of people. It was just crack. The first time we did it, a gang of us ran down the length of Patrick Street, through the English market and down to Electric in high heels. That was the first year. And then we brought it up to the quad at UCC and we ran the lap of the quad in high heels. And some fellas went far more than just putting on the high heels. It was great fun. We raised a handy wedge of cash for the Corks 96mm Giving for Living Radiothon. Well, we won't be doing a heel appeal this year. And like I say, God alone knows if the health and safety man will ever again let us do one. But it was fun. And it's just by way of reminding you again that from the morning of the 20th of May, tomorrow week, we go into Radiothon mode. And because of COVID, obviously we couldn't do it last year, broke our hearts to cancel it. Because of COVID, we still have to do it within a certain level of restriction this year. And we will do that and you'll find out how when we get it on the air. But there will be a Radiothon and we will be asking for you to help and to give whatever you can afford. Uh, to help help us raise more money for cancer services in Cork. Over the last number of years, over the history of Radiothon, we have raised a colossal 5.1 million euro plus. And we'll be hoping to add to that this year, all starting here on 96mm on the morning of the 20th of May, which is tomorrow week. And we look forward to it. 1850 there is a protest outside CUH at the moment, I believe. Now, in the last 24 hours, this whole maternity services thing has kind of been turned on its head a bit because the, the, the Taoiseach seems to have been saying now that there's no need to keep partners away from each other in maternity hospitals. And, and I, it would appear that the chief medical officer is of the same opinion, that there's now no public health argument for what's happening but it still seems to be happening. Fiona Corcoran is out at CUH. Fiona, good morning. Good morning, PJ. You've got a group out there with you, I think, this morning. That's right, PJ. This protest has been aimed, uh, organised by Ames Ireland. It's a group that's been campaigning to have these maternity uh, restrictions lifted. And there are about 10 mothers here, some of them with their newborn babies. Now, the protest won't get any bigger than that, obviously, because of uh, COVID restrictions. And they're just at the entrance to CUMH here this morning, and they'll be here for an hour. And... Um, CUMH is one of the hospitals I mean the Taoiseach came out last night and said that there's no need for these restrictions to be in place, particularly now that the vaccination programme has been um, rolled out to most healthcare workers and you know the CMO as you said there and the HSE have all said it as well and it's kind of up to each individual hospital as to what restrictions they have in place and CUMH is one of the hospitals that have had these protests outside them over the last few days because their full restrictions are here and I was speaking to to a mother there just before I started talking to you PJ and she had a baby four weeks ago and she told me that her partner wasn't allowed in for any of the scans that she had in the uh, during her pregnancy and then she had a cesarean section and her partner was allowed in for the procedure and for an hour afterwards and then he was told to go home and she was here then in the hospital for three days after that and she was here by herself and you know I understand that 
guidelines had to be in place for to protect everybody because of COVID. But anybody who has had a baby will know that those days in hospital when you're here, you know, if you don't have your partner with you, it can be an extremely yeah. lonely time. You're with a baby, you might not necessarily know what you're doing. And for the partner as well, then, you know, they're at home. They're missing, <laughs> they're missing out on those important days at bonding time with their baby. Yeah. So they are here. Now, it's a very peaceful protest. The, the women have signs and babies in slings um, and they have said that they will only stay for the hour and that they will move on but it's just to highlight um, the restrictions and um, the, their, their call to have the, them lifted Yeah, um, I suppose to be fair what the CMO said, what Dr Houlihan said was that while, while there seems to be no public health argument for the restrictions now that local mm-hmm. conditions may vary and that some hospitals might might need to vary uh, their restrictions. I know that you That's have right, Ma- yeah. Ma- Maria with you there from from Ames. I'll come back to you, Fiona. Maria, good morning to you. No, she's not there. She's not on the phone. Is she with you by any chance? Um, yeah. Um, hold on a second there now. Um, do you want to actually... Um, I'm just on, on a system here. That's okay. Hold on. Well, we're, we're trying to we'll see if we can get Maria back on that line. She wasn't on the line there, Fergal. Uh, she, see if we can call her back. But that's that's what the the the, the Taoiseach was saying in the doll yesterday was that he couldn't understand why this was still happening. Uh, the chief medical officer said that uh, if I, if I heard him correctly, he said that there now seems to be no good public health reason as to why it's still happening. Why partners are still being kept outside uh, all for the very minimum he did say and he did say just as a matter of clarification that local conditions may determine otherwise but you'd have to look at COH and say you know, surely that is the one place where you would have all the conditions in place to be able to do it there's Maria back from Ames Ireland hi Maria Hi, good morning, PJ. How are you doing? Good. Given the recent comments on the T-shirt and given what the Chief Medical Officer is saying, there doesn't seem to be any sense in these restrictions at CUMH now. No, no, there there really doesn't seem to be. Um, I mean, um, what we really need now is a a uniform approach across the 19 maternity units in Ireland, basically, and that's what AIMS Ireland is calling for. Mm. And... um, you know, there's been no risk assessments or, you know, it's not evidence-based what's happening. Mm. You just have to look at um, WHO and what they've come out and said about it, that partners should be with their with the mothers and pregnant people going to the hospital. I suppose there was a time when, in the midst of the most severe waves of this mm-hmm. pandemic, you know, restrictions were put in place just to avoid more people getting sick and avoid the spread of the virus. But clearly, that's been arrested now. The vaccine program is out there. Healthcare workers are vaccinated. Now pregnant women are going to be offered a vaccine. It would seem to be far, far safer. And, and allowing for local conditions, you would think that they would be just, just, just letting people back in now. Yes, I think, you know, the biggest mistake that was made at the start was partners being seen as visitors. Partners and our visitors, you know, women need support all the way through labour, you know, during scans, during inductions, during miscarriages. And of course, obviously, like if there was another spike in COVID and Corp, um, then obviously they would have to be, you know, the restrictions would have to be put back in place. But I mean, when you can go to Pennies now and get your nails done, you know, you should really be able to have your partner walk in the door with you when your, your labour starts and be able to stay with you until their baby's born and then be able to help afterwards. 
that's that, what we're calling for. That kind of sums it up. And I suppose the words of the Taoiseach yesterday, particularly strong with regards to this, that there now seems to be no sense nor meaning as to why it's still happening. Maria, I'll leave you there. I know that tomorrow I'll be talking to uh, Reynacht, I think is her name, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, who has experienced the, the limitations of care of, of late. But Fiona, they're going to stay there just for the hour, is that right? That's right, yeah. Um, they have promised that they were going to just be peaceful and leave after the hour. They'll be here till 12 o'clock. OK, and we'll see where the developments come politically as well during the course of the day, if there's any further move. 1850 715 Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Cork's 96FM. Kira on Jaffa Cake. I mentioned the new Jaffa Cake idea for the summer, which they hope is going to take off, and that's that they'll have Jaffa Cake type donuts. Jaffa, Jaffa, Jaffa nuts. Or donuts, donuts, <laughs> Jaffa nuts, donuts. They're calling. There'll be a Jaffa cake. They look like a Jaffa cake in the shape of a donut and all the usual ingredients. Hi, PJ says Kira. My sister-in-law bought me a present of a box of donuts with Jaffa cakes and orange syrup on top from Bite Size in Ballincollig. Very tasty. <laughs> yeah, Jaffa nuts. No, they're jo- they're donuts. I won't be forgiven for that now. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six on the housing. Lots of different comment on that uh, via WhatsApp. Uh, I'm listening to that chap about rental. This is Charlie Weston. I'm a landlord. My rental income hasn't changed in five years. But my issue is with the council or government that three houses in our village on one estate of twenty five houses, council owned and empty. One is empty with three years since the lady passed away. Why aren't these houses rented out? And if I have a client that moves on, my biggest issue is how quick can I turn it around? Uh, yeah, there you go. Why are council houses that become vacant still left to lie vacant for a very long time? Uh, where are we going? Oh, yeah, there was a lot of talk about Mick's bill, Mick, Mick Barry's, Debenham's workers' bill that's going through the doyle, or he's hoping to go through the doyle at the moment. Uh, Graham on Twitter, at OpinionLine96. Good contribution, Graham. He says, I can't see how this bill would change anything. The workers received their statutory redundancy. The result of arbitration was that the old 2016 agreement was no longer valid. So putting workers' pay as a primary creditor wouldn't give them any more than they received. And for the Debenhams workers, Graham, you are absolutely right. But what the bill suggests, according to Deputy Barry, is that the particularly with the 2016 agreement, of which we've talked many, many times, the 2 plus 2, that that would be enshrined in the legislation and that it couldn't be null and void and that they would have to get it because it existed and it had been agreed. That's one of the things in the bill. Um, and that's it, it, it'll have no effect on the Debenhams workers, but Mick and those who, those who support the bill would be hoping that it would have an effect for workers in the future. 1850-715-996. And we're inundated with messages on all our platforms today, and great to see it. Uh, just want to give the heart nurse in Mallow a mention. She's one of the best nurses I've ever come across. Katrina is her name. Always makes me relaxed when I go in 
to see her. And Sophie says, hi PJ, I had a stillborn baby in the CUMH 10 years ago. The nurses up there were outstanding, such empathy and care, and they knew exactly what to do for me when I needed it. I spent three days there with my daughter, Amelia Starr, who's now up with the stars. Please give respect to all of the nurses. And Myraid and Terry want to say hi to their fabulous daughters, Grace Duggan and Cleanna McSweeney. They're in CUH. Very proud of them and love them so much. And on International Nurse Day, Orla, Orla Christian, Michael wants to thank all of his nurses throughout his eight years. CUMH and the NICU nurse, Margaret, all in Ladybird and Puffin, nurses Stacey and Kelly, retired nurse Caroline, our home nurse Kerry, and all of Mammy's nursing friends around Ireland. Loads of them coming in. Keep them coming. I'll read out as many as I can on this International Day of the Nurse. Is there a nurse to whom you're particularly grateful or of whom you're particularly proud that you'd like us to mention? And on Sean, the autistic baker, if ever there was a definition of inspiration, says Mags. Well, ain't that the truth? 1850-715-996. As we go back into society, as we can go out shopping again, as we can go back to work again, maybe go to a match again, maybe go to the pub again, take our lives back a little bit, get our vaccinations, let them settle into our body, get our immunity, go back out and start to live again after what's been an extraordinarily hard 12 or 15 months. An amount of anxiety is guaranteed for some people. If you're prone to anxiety with change, then you suffered anxiety or had to deal with anxiety in the change to the new normal, which is the term I hate, but I have no better one for this. It'll be equally anxious coming out of it. Like when the front door is open and you're told, right, off you go. Go to a match, go to the pub, go visit your friends, go back to work, go about your business like you used to. That could be a source of anxiety in itself. Good friend of the show, Jer O'Brien, emotional freedom technique, energy specialist. Jer, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. It, it is normal to feel anxious at times of change, and the start of the pandemic was a very anxious time for people as they had to deal with children at home all the time, trying to work from home, not having it. Now, normality may be about to return, and anxiety is completely normal. Yeah. Absolutely. What's after happening, you see, we've we've disconnected from who, who we really are because of this pandemic. We've lost touch with ourselves, you know. And people that, that never had anxiety before have got anxiety now and will continue to have anxiety in the coming weeks and months until we actually get out and actually start socialising again and start being normal and getting to meet our friends. And, you know, like yourself, PJ, and all your listeners, I, I, I'm looking forward to nothing better than just going for a pint with a couple of friends, you know. Mm. Have we become conditioned maybe to be fearful of the things that were so normal 18 months ago? Yes, we have. We've conditioned, in one respect, we've been conditioned by, by what's after happening out there, but we've also become conditioned because we perceive it to be that way. We, we've taken it in as a belief system, and that is more detrimental than anything else that we actually feel that. In a way, that it might have helped us to protect ourselves when we needed protecting. But now it can have the opposite effect. It can have the opposite effect, yeah. It, it can cause a myriad of problems going down the road. 
Um, and what I mean by that is if somebody's feeling anxious, no, and for the most part, it's, it's fear-based. It's going gonna, it's gonna to cause a lot of problems if they don't start to deal with it now and nip it in the bud because it will just get out of hand. And in every situation, they'll feel nothing but fear. They'll see fear in, in every situation. And as I said, this needs to be treated and it needs to be treated now. Because there's a difference, isn't there, between the regu- the normal anxieties that we come across in our lives and we just deal with them. We have a skill set to deal with them. But it can become a crippling fear. I, I've spoke to some people over the years, Jar, about this. And, and one woman spoke to me about sitting in her home, shaking with fear, but having no idea what she was afraid of. Absolutely terrible. It's That's horrendous. debilitating, Mike. Yeah, it, it is debilitating. It is, but, you know, worry and fear only paves the way for things I do not want. Once you're conscious of that, you can start to turn things around. Because first and foremost, PJ, we're responsible for our own well-being, mental and emotional health. And unless we're proactive, especially with our emotional and mental health, then things will take a downturn. So, again, we really need to be responsible and to start start to, to do things differently. And as I've said on many occasions, PJ, you know, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've if always, always gotten. Yeah, yeah, so you, need, you need to make a conscious decision, a conscious choice. Yeah. to do things differently and how do you do that? By changing the way that you're thinking. And you know the one thing that is going to make people very anxious across the summer is we remember what happened last year in that we got to a point in May and June where you know COVID was well and truly under control and we were able to go to the pub, okay it was different, we were able to go to the pub, go do a lot of normal things, we got to a point during the summer where COVID in Cork was rare very rare great great to be there and then we relaxed mm. and it came back mm. and we have had the horrors of the last six or eight months and mm. that is an, a rational fear that will be in some people's minds and that might keep someone at home and that won't do them any good no it won't do them any good as, as I said just, just a couple of minutes ago that you're the creator of your own reality especially by the thoughts that you think now if you get caught up and you get captivated in, in, in all the fear that's going out there at the moment. You'll never leave your home. You'll never leave your home. And what's created this is universal consciousness of fear. So many people feeling and thinking the same thoughts, fear-based, has created such a negative wave across the entire planet. No, obviously, it, had to, it, it, it was going to come out this way because of, of the pandemic. But look, this threat is, is almost gone. Now is time to start living your life again. Because, look, life is, life is too short, guys, you know. You've got to really captivate it now and start to live your life once this is done and dusted, once and for all. And focus on what you want, not on what you don't want. Put this behind. Mm. Someone said to me before, a great piece of life advice, Jer. Don't depend for your happiness and well-being on things that you can't control. Correct. Wonderful words. And that's a fact. That's a fact, PJ. You know, you should focus on what you want, honestly, because most people, they focus on what they don't want. And, you know, most people, you know, think about what they don't want and therefore they attract it because energy follows thought. So once you change the direction of your mindset and the words that you are affirming to yourself on a daily basis, you can, cha- you can start to change the dynamics of yourself 
Mm. Very, very fast, if you so choose to do so. So when we have that first conversation with ourselves in the morning, Ger, maybe over the morning coffee, and we're sitting thinking of what lies ahead, be it in work, be it in family, be it in life in general, and we might be feeling a little bit uptight and a little bit anxious, what can we do to, to ease ourselves into things? Okay. The first thing is you're in control of your life, firstly, Okay. You're in control of it by the thoughts that you think and, as I said, by the words that you affirm to yourself. So when you get up in the morning, it's the attitude that you take into the day is going to dictate your entire day. So if you start the morning in a negative frame of mind, then the chances are that you took negative thoughts and feelings and emotions into your sleep state, you probably woke up the same way. Now, in order to change this, you need to make a conscious decision and say, I'm going to start to do things differently this day. No. The first thing I do, PJ, and it might be of benefit to your listeners, is I lie in the bed. Before I even get out, I take a big, deep breath, and I say, thank you for my breath. Without us, I wouldn't be here. Why do I say that? Because there's tens of thousands of people dying in their sleep right across the world every single night. Then I say, thank you for my eyesight to see this wonderful day unfold before me. The wonderful thoughts, feelings, emotions people, circumstances, situations and events that I'm about to draw into my life's experience that will only serve me in a positive way. Now I'm starting to pre-pave the day. I'm starting to raise my vibrational frequency. I'm going to, I'm looking into this day as being a wonderful day. Why? Because I am creating it. Then I might say a positive affirmation. It's not might. I do every single day. Mm. Something like this might be a benefit to your listeners. And I say it like this. They will be done this day Today is a day of completion. I give thanks for this perfect day. Miracle shall follow miracle, and wonders shall never cease. That's before I get out of the bed, PJ. Very, very thoughtful, very thoughtful. Do you know something that, that I've always said it, uh, springtime is my favourite time of the year for, for any number of reasons, but, but mm-hmm. I, I, I've become myself, Jer, in the last couple of months, and I've, I've shared this before with my listeners, some of the most beautiful sunrises of the last six weeks or so have actually made me a little bit emotional. Mm. And the reason that they've made me a little bit emotional is because COVID cannot take that from me. How important is that thought process? That's wonderful, Peter. It, it's extremely important. It, it's everything. It defines everything. It defines who you are. It defines who you are. You're, you're beginning to, to, to get back in touch with who you really are. PJ, apart from all the fear-based thoughts and everything that you and everybody else has had for such a long time, now you're starting to delve in and you're starting to captivate the true essence of who you are by getting in touch with your emotions and your feelings. And isn't it a wonderful feeling, PJ? There was one morning, actually, I was walking across Patrick's Bridge. It was a Friday morning um, and there was a a dramatic sunrise. It was kind of the first dramatic sunrise of spring. And I was a little bit late getting to Patrick's Bridge and the blessings of that lateness was I saw it in its full glory. And I actually, I took out my phone and I took a photograph. But I actually said, Jesus, is that a tear coming down my face? Mm. Incredible. Incredible. But the most, the most important thing here is you stopped in your tracks and you were in the now moment. That's all that mattered. That's all that matters at any given time in our lives. You captivated that moment in the now and you felt that emotional connection with who you are. And it's the most wonderful feeling. The most wonderful things in life are free. 
and its nature. Just look around. The, the most beautiful things are there in front of us. But yes, we're so captivated on our mobile phones or devices. We don't even give people eye contact in conversations. Stop in, our mo- stop in the moment and just look around and you see so much beauty, just like you've seen, PJ. Well, the same thing is happening now, Ger, as happens every time you come on the programme for a few minutes. Uh, Irene and Orla was on just here to say, Ger, on your radio, I've had three sessions with Ger. The difference it's made in my life is amazing. My daughter has autism. Her life has become so much better since seeing him, dealing with the anxiety and just feeling happy. Give it a go. It's amazing. Ger, it's always a pleasure to have you on the Opinion Line. Good to speak with you again. Thanks a lot, PJ. God bless. Thank you. 1850-715-996. Google him. Ger O'Brien, EFT. I remember when he came on first, people were going, go out of that. But now when he comes on, and a couple of minutes into the conversation, the phones start to light up. Yeah. 1850-715-996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. All the big tunes and giveaways to help you fly through your afternoon in Cork. And if it's happening Leaside, you hear about it here first. On the air, straight after the opinion line on Cork's 96FM. Cork's 96FM. We had a call during the morning from someone who lives close to the vaccination centre in Mallow, but has gotten an appointment for Porky Cueve. What is going on? We have had a response to that, and I'll bring it to you in just a few minutes. But we touched on this over the last couple of weeks, and it just seems to be getting worse. There seems to be no let up in it at all. And that is the tragic situation in India. Uh, The Irish government has sent a lot of aid out there in the form of oxygen tanks and oxygen machines. These wonderful generators that suck the oxygen out of the air and pump it into the people that need it. We sent some of those. Uh, There's a dreadful situation still in India. And there's a a group of people called themselves the UCC Indian Alumni are getting together uh, a fundraiser uh, and I want to talk about that in just a few minutes. Let's get that done then. I live close to the Mallow Vaccination Centre. My appointment, however, is for Parky Cueve. What's going on? Well, we did ask the HSE about that and they have issued a statement or they have a, a policy statement and I'll just read it for what it's worth. The HSE wishes to advise that some people in North and West Cork will receive their COVID-19 vaccine by appointment at public vaccination centres in Cork City at the weekend. Appointments will be issued by text message today, Wednesday, to more than 2,000 people in the 60-plus age group based in West Cork and North Cork. Although most people will receive appointments for the vaccination centre closest to them, we plan to run additional appointments for the North Cork and West Cork population in the city this weekend. This will be in addition to the appointments which continue at Mallow and West Cork. The move will allow us to ensure that anyone in the 60 plus age group in Cork already registered for an appointment will receive their vaccine within the next week. We understand that people may not have expected to travel outside of their locality for their vaccination, but we thank them in advance for their cooperation. What I think they're saying there is that this is the best and fastest way to get it into more and more people's arms. 
which can be no harm at all. Just on the protest outside CUH, the peaceful protest outside CUH, just on the phone to 1850-715-996, the ladies picketing outside CUMH should remember that nurses and doctors inside are far more useful to you than your husband or partner. They should get over themselves. A generation ago, a man wouldn't be allowed inside the door. I'll just let that there for what it's worth. Group called UCCIndiaAlumni.com Joined on the line by Dr. Lekka Menon, who's a member of that group. Lekka, good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, the, the situation in, in India is just growing more distressing by the day. Uh, and, yeah. and, and you're hoping to fundraise. Yeah. So if I, if um, the seven-day average of new cases is at a record high of almost 390,995 cases, yeah. and uh, the total coronavirus infections in India is now at approximately 23 million, and uh, the cases are rising exponentially every day. Yeah. It's out um, of control, isn't it? It's out of control. And uh, we have decided to fundraise and liaise with two of them. One, uh, they are uh, actually a Koval Native Call. Uh, the co-founders are Bharat Govind and Aishwarya, which is an online network in, in India set up, which helps to connect the people with right resources during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And from here, we are liaising with one of our alumnus, Dr. Atul Torath, and his friends, Mr. Sudhi Kamath, Swarna Kumar Gunde, and Mr. Roshan Tolhe for sourcing equipment and supplies. So if you don't find any supplies there, we are planning to just source it from here and send it across. Um, and uh, like we have got a first request from Coimbatore Medical College, which is a home, which is a small town in uh, Tamil Nadu. Yeah. The state called Tamil Nadu, it's a very small town. It's, it's where I grew up. You know, that's my hometown. Yeah. Uh, and they are running short of oxygen concentrators, multi-parameter patient monitors, non-invasive ventilation masks, aluminum cylinders, and regulators. So it's, there's a shortage of almost everything. The most basic of equipment. The for... most basic equipment. Okay. And, you know, it, it's like very small town, It's uh, and it's, it's very difficult uh, you know, so we need supplies. Yeah. Uh, Lekka, that that's not the best line ever. Where can people help? How can people help if they if they feel obliged to do so? Yeah, so you can donate via UCC Indian Alumni Community website, uh, and it is uccindianalumni.com. Okay. And in the blog, you will see Help India Fight COVID-19. Okay, all right. I'll leave it there with you because the, the line isn't the best, but that's Dr. Lekka Menon. McAstray, who's from a tiny village in India, her own hometown is overwhelmed, medically overwhelmed, and many more like it, medically overwhelmed. So if you want to help, it's UCC alumni, UCC Indian alumni, all one word, dot com. And there are ways to donate there. You can, And on their website, they actually have click buttons where you can make a one-time donation or indeed you can decide on your own uh, contribution. I'd like to wish my daughter, Aideen Smith, who's a nurse, and recovering from a back procedure she had yesterday, she's very hardworking, always there for us with, advi- with advice and help. Love from mum. 1850-715-996. All right, something completely different to finish us out today. Do you know what this music is for?
breakdancing or as they call it now breaking yeah it's not breakdancing anymore it's called breaking and why am I talking about it well, two reasons. One, it is going to be an Olympic sport, I kid you not, in 2024 in Paris. It's going to be an Olympic sport. But secondly, there's a corkman who is very likely to be in the 2024 Olympics in Paris breaking, or as it were, breakdancing. His name, it's Gaslong. His name is Kian Mulcahy from Ballyvalan, and he's preparing for the Olympics in 2024 in breakdancing. Like, I had to talk to this guy. Uh, Ken, you're in, in Vancouver at the moment, preparing, I think, for the Europeans in Russia uh, sometime later this year. But tell me a bit about it. I'm old enough to remember breakdancing, which now is breaking, when fellas would come into the nightclubs and they'd have a few pints on them, and we would be wondering, as DJs, what it was they were going to dislocate tonight. But it, it was just a mad way to dance. But it's a sport now. That's that's the weird thing. Yeah, it's funny, you know, because it's like um, for for me, that's probably how I would have started as well, you know, like trying to do a little bit in the club somewhere in Cork uh, when I was younger. Um, but now it's obviously it's, it's become something uh, a hell of a lot more serious than that now, you know. Um, and that and that, and that's the thing. It's just that uh, you know, it was just a kind of it was a bit of fun for a lot of people who would just try it out on a even a bit of cardboard on the side of the street, but now it's going to be an Olympic sport. So it's uh, it's crazy. Things are very much moving forward as as regards breaking in the world now. Where, where did you start? Uh, so I started um, in this studio called Flavor Force. It was uh, set up by a guy called um, Adam O'Connor. And uh, he... Um, he kind of took me under my under his wing, you know. I started when I was uh, sixteen years of age, and uh, I had been swimming competitively when I was younger, and I just kind of got bored of that, and I was looking for something new to keep myself active and and all the rest of it. And uh, this just caught my eye, and yeah, that's and, and you know, it, it was just a case of I was going once or twice a week, and then it became a thing of oh, I want to go here every day and practice, you know. So it just uh, kind of took over from there on. In where was that studio? Um, that was, studio was in Coburg Lane, I believe, uh, down the side of the Chine pub there. Okay, not far from from ninety six FM. So now you're you're in Canada, and is it the pursuit of breaking has taken you to Canada? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I I basically I was I obviously started to get serious about it while I was in Cork after maybe two or two or three years doing it, and then I just kind of. Um, felt that I wasn't improving as much as I should have been and just seeing how how things were moving across the world you know like seeing things on YouTube and all the rest of it and I really felt then that uh, Canada would have been a good call for me to go and um, explore and just improve so yeah that was the main goal for me just to move out there meet more dancers uh, train and just improve and uh, honestly it's it's the best move I've made really as, as far as my dance goes. So how long are you there? Yeah, four years now I've been in Canada. Yeah, I'm just just uh, doing my permanent residency application right now. Just actually submitted it today. So, um, yeah, I'm loving it out here. And it's just there's so much places to train. There's so much uh, competition. There's a high level, you know. And then, and then I'm also being mentored by uh, by a guy out here who's kind of been around the block, let's say, and he's kind of uh, showing me what what needs to be done essentially. So, yeah, it's all go. Tell me, is it? A dance or is it a sport? Is it a combination of music and gymnastics? Or what, what do you define it as, as a dancer, as a breaker? 
Um, so for me, I still see it as a dance. Um, but I can see, you know, how people would think that it's, you know, like like gymnastics, like a sport in that sense, because there are there are such difficult moves involved that require really serious technique and control and ability and and all that stuff. But like as far as I, I, I still see it as a dance, but I think that it can be it can be viewed as either or depending on what your perspective is. But um I think definitely going into the Olympics it probably will be looked at as a little bit like a sport, all right. But I, I still think that's a real positive thing for the dance in my opinion because it's just providing so much opportunities for, for people now. So when you so, yeah. when you're preparing for a championship like the Europeans now in the summer They'll be in Russia. So is it a bit like we see with, say, gymnastics, that there's a, a defined program that you have to do a specific set of moves to a specific, in a specific time, or, or is it different? Uh, so it's, it's a little bit different than that. Now, like the, the whole time as regards competing and breaking, it was just a case of there would be three judges and then they'd count down three, two, one, and then they'd point left or right to whoever won, right? So now that it's been put to the Olympics, they've been forced now to actually... Uh, draw up a real system and 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 you don't necessarily have to do exact moves but it does look at certain aspects like it look at your technique your musicality your originality uh your cleanliness um whether you're repeating moves or not um so the all these things now are have kind of been put on paper because like when we look at it say if we look at say ice dancing in the winter olympics or if we look at floor gymnastics say in in the olympics there's a compulsory section where everyone has to do certain things and then you have a second section where you can do your own interpretation. Is it like that or will it be a different program? Uh, no, it won't actually be a case of you have to do any one thing and I think that's the kind of beauty of it because so many people have their own take on it uh, you know, and it's influenced by so many things, you know, like your culture, your body type, you know, all the rest of it, uh, the music you listen to, all of that. So um, they've kind of, you know, drawn up a way to judge this in such a way that you don't have to necessarily do three spins on your hands to make to the, the, the finals, but you're still going to be watched very carefully as regards, like I said, you know, your cleanliness, your technique and all, and all the other stuff. So it's going to be interesting to see like which style comes out on top, essentially. There's a word you're using there which seems strange, cleanliness. What does that mean? Yeah, so essentially, like if you're, if you're doing a move and breaking and, and, and you're your foot is scraping on the floor while you're doing it, like, or, or if you if your hand slips out from underneath you, it's like, for example, if um, in gymnastics when they have to get their land correctly, you know, if they okay. land and they have to take three, four steps forward, it's not quite good. But if they land cleanly, that's extra points. So that 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 would be kind of what I'm referring to there. So so when is the 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 gig in Russia? When is that happening? So this is June June 25th uh, in Sochi, Russia. So there's two people representing each country. Um, and uh, it'll be over two days, and yeah, it's going. It's the first of the European competitions now under the World Dance Sports Federation. So it's uh, it's it's really cool to be a part of the first one and uh, to see how it all plays out. You know, I'm, I'm confident going there for sure. And getting into the Olympics, then it's it's is it a full sport or a demo sport in in 24 in Paris? Oh, it's full full go. Yeah, it's going to be essentially. I think they're going to be picking. There'll be eventually uh, an Olympic qualifier, and that what they're going to be doing is they'll be they're picking 16 uh, male and 16 females to compete in this in 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 the actual Olympic Games, and it'll be kind of group stages, and then you'll get out of your group stage, and it'll be something like a a, a semi final and a final event kind of thing. You know, it's a strange thing for us in Ireland. I mean, this is okay. We have our own native form of dance. 
as it were. But mm. hip-hop music, sure, you can study it now in UCC. And here we are on the global stage in, mm. in a whole new Olympic sport. It's exciting times. It's, it's, it's crazy. You know, like, I, honestly, I, I would have never thought that it would have come to this in, in my career. You know, like, uh, I, you know, when it first started, there's, like, even still, people don't really know much about it, you know. But now it's going to, now that it is on this big stage, I think it's a great thing, you know, like a lot more people are going to see it and get interested because it's a fantastic outlet to get involved in, you know. Well, as I can say, I'm a bit older than you and I can remember when it started as breakdancing and every kid wanted to try it. There might have been a few broken bones and dislocated fingers here and there, but everybody wanted to try it. And then I thought at least it just faded away as a craze that was not a craze anymore. But it, it, it didn't really. And, and here it is now and you're at the peak of it. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. It's crazy timing, and that and you you're, you're right there. It did definitely fall off after the eighties when it did uh, when it did blow up. But there was always that kind of underground that kept it going. And I think now in the new age of kind of social media and YouTube, and that there's just you know there's now the opportunity for this information to spread all over the world, and you see some really high levels all over. The world. I was looking at videos, and I'm convinced some of them can actually fly. It's it's crazy, like how good it has gotten. Yes, it's insane. Like the, the level is just going on and on. And, and I think the Olympic Council has recognized that to see like what people are actually doing with the dance now. And it's, it is reaching the such high levels that I, I think it deserves to be on a stage like that because pe- pe- people should see that, in my opinion. You know. So the small boy who walked down Coburg Lane a few years ago looking for a new hobby. And here you are, lad. <laughs> Yeah, I know it's 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 surreal. It's surreal, you know. And I've just made a choice now in my life where I'm just going to fully dedicate my time to this and just make it happen, you know. Well, keep in touch with us, right? And when you get to Sochi, let us know that you're there, and and we'll see how this goes. Yeah, thank you so much. Hopefully, I'll be bringing back a medal. You know? Here's hoping. Cheers, Key, and thank you. Thanks so much, PJ. Take care. That's Key from Land, based in Vancouver, Canada, and headed off to Sochi in Russia for the European breaking championships in June and then to the Olympics hopefully in 2024 to Paris to represent us. 1850-715-996 A quick one here, could you ask PJ to put out a rest, Nurse Pauline from the Oncology Department in CUH, one in a million and that is from Michael and Phyllis Corcoran and the, the love that has been coming in since nine this morning for our nurses at all levels, has been wonderful on this International Day of the Nurse. We just wanted to get as many mentions as we could, and thank you for it. You've been piling into us. That's it, the programme today, edited by Fergal Barry, produced and researched by Maureen Tuig. Podcast is up in the afternoon, and we'll see you tomorrow, just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.